Jesus was friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Sounds like a band, but it really wasn't. They were just some friends that he had, and he spent a good bit of time at their house. Now, when you have a friend, you probably think you can hope to count on them in the good times and in some of the challenging times. They had experienced many things together, and on this particular time, Jesus wasn't hanging around them. He was away in another town, and Lazarus got sick. When he got sick, he really got sick, and then sicker, and then he became sickest, and he was about to die. So they sent word to Jesus and said, Lazarus, your friend is sick. You notice that when you read the passage. They said they want to make sure that he knows it's his friend. So they try to leverage that friendship and try to say, hey, really, get here quick, get here quick. But Jesus doesn't get there and Lazarus ends up dying. What kind of friend would that be? They don't even show up whenever you're in your most desperate moment. But Jesus had something else in mind. Jesus is on a different mission, really. Jesus did come to town, and later when he got there, he ends up talking to the sisters, and he says, tell me about it. And they said, if you had been here, our brother would have lived. He wouldn't have died. Jesus says, where is he now? And they say, well, he's over here buried. And by now, it's been several days. Now, have you ever driven down the road, and maybe a deer has met his demise and laying on the side of the road, and it smells really rotten? Have you smelled that smell of death? It's gross. It's really not good. They said, if we were to bring Lazarus out of there now, he would be stinking like that, and we don't want to do that because it would just, you know, it'd really be bad and ruin even a bad moment, make it worse. And Jesus says, no, and he says, Lazarus, come on out. They get the rock out of the way, the stone, and then he says, loose him. Now, the way they would wrap somebody up would be they would bind them up with wrappings until they had them pretty well mummified. And so he says, go ahead and loose him, let him out, let him come on out here. And so they loose him and he comes out. Now, I kind of felt sorry for Lazarus, I've said it before, but he had to face death all over again later on. So he kind of got a bummer of a deal. But I really think that Jesus was trying to point something out. For Jesus to die and to come back to life is an amazing and miraculous thing. And it is so because he is God dying for us. But He says, I have power not just because I'm divine and can raise my own life, but he says, I have power over life and death. And he proved that by resurrecting this guy, Lazarus. And let me tell you this, he has power over your life too. And one day he's going to be able to uh, create a resurrection for all of us who have trusted on the name of Jesus Christ, who have accepted his sacrifice on the cross as our sacrifice. And Jesus would die on the cross. I want to look at several of the things that provide for us eyewitness accounts of that most momentous weekend. The first thing would be this that we look at is, they witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus was arrested in the garden. He was taken before Pilate and taken before those that were in leadership. And they would ask the question, what has this man done? He's created blasphemy in their minds, but not really. They really had nothing to accuse him of, so they trumped up some charges against him and made some false accusations. And finally, the question is raised to them, look, this man has done no wrong. Do you want us to release to you Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus of Barabbas? And they said, we don't want Barabbas, we want Jesus. 
And so they take Jesus carrying his own cross down through town. They have whipped him. And because he says he's king of the Jews, they put the crown on his head and they put the placard above him that would say king of the Jews. And they got to the place called Golgotha. And when they got there, they put a nail in here and a nail in here and a nail in his feet. They've beaten his back to a pulp. They put the thorns on his head so he's bleeding. The vultures would circle around looking for lunch. Common in that era to have crucifixions. So there's a thief on his right, a thief on his left. And one would say to him, hey, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And you know what Jesus said? Mind enough in that moment? He said, today, I'll remember you in paradise. And the other guy says, well, if you're God, why don't you come down off that cross? Why don't you do something for us now? Jesus wasn't about to do that, not even with that little airbag, windy uh, temptation. He wasn't going to give in to that because he was on a mission, and his mission was to die for you and to die for me. And a lot of times, we look at Jesus' death and we say, well, why did he die? I'm not that bad a person. Nobody needs to die for me. You don't realize how holy God is, and you don't realize what he thinks of your sin. The Bible says to us in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 and 6, But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. That's yours and mine. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, you can't have a resurrection without the cross. And we must never forget the cross of Jesus Christ. It is a pinnacle moment of our salvation because it is there that God dies in your place and mine, paying the penalty for the sin that separates us from God. President George Bush was going to meet with Russian President Putin. Now, what would you do if you're going to meet with somebody that is a leader of another country, and you're a leader of a country. You figure you're going to sit down and talk about government. You're going to be talking about all the nice things your country's doing and how you want to work with their country, right? Or maybe you have a challenge you want to present to their country. What would you say? President Bush was looking for a way to have a common connection outside of government. And so he heard a story about Putin's mother. She had given to him a cross. And that cross meant something to Putin. He wore it. And when he went over to Jerusalem, he had it blessed. And it was a special cross. And so Mr. Bush talks about that cross. And Putin says, and let me tell you another story about that cross. He said, I was staying in a certain place, had taken that necklace off of that cross, and had put it down. And he said, subsequently, the place ended up burning up. And when it burned up, he said burn itself, the house burned up. He said, I talked to some of the workers and said, could you look for that cross? It means a lot to me. And one of the workers came up to him right away and said, do you mean this cross? He said, yes, that's the one my mother gave to me. And he said to Bush, he said, I think the higher power wanted me to have that. And George Bush said to him, it is all about the cross. The cross is the greatest story of all time. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our cross. But the story doesn't stop there. They also are eyewitnesses of an empty tomb. They're eyewitnesses of an empty tomb. 
the ladies are worried. How will we be able to get that rock moved away from Jesus' stone? And what about the soldiers that are there? And what about the government signet that says nobody's supposed to mess with this? This is a government execution and burial. What about that? Fair question. On their way to the tomb, they have spices to preserve the body of Jesus a little longer. Their Sabbath has ended, and now they can go. And so they go, and they're going to take care of the body of Christ. And as they make their way there, they turn around the corner, and there they see the stone is gone. The tomb is open. The soldiers are not there. An angel sitting on the rock and would say to them, he is not here. He has risen. This is a powerful moment for them when they would understand this. He is not here. And says, go tell the other disciples and tell Peter. Go tell them about the resurrection. I'm so glad that the angel would say and that the word would say, go tell the disciples and go tell Peter. Because in that moment, Peter is the one who has forsaken Jesus and denied him in his most meaningful, deepest, darkest hour. Friends don't do that. But he did that. He forsook Jesus. And you think about your life. And I think about mine. And I think about those times that we have denied Christ and we have forsaken him. And we have done something that we regret later. And we want to come back to Christ and ask for forgiveness. That's exactly what happened in that moment. Jesus wanted him to know he's welcome to come back. Mary, when she was in the garden, sees the emptiness of the tomb. And she says, oh my goodness, tears filled her eyes. She looks around and sees somebody, but she can't tell who they are. And in that moment, looking, she says to the person, what have you done with the body of Jesus? And he spoke her name. This is a lady he had delivered of seven demons. Powerful moment in this time. He speaks out and calls her name. I think he calls your name today. He calls my name. He wants every one of us to come to him. That's what Jesus is looking for today. They witness an empty tomb. When Peter looked in that tomb, something was unusual about it. You would think the grave clothes would be wadded up like any good boy would leave them and thrown into the corner, but they weren't. They were folded up, and they were there. And in this moment, as they're folded up and there, it takes my mind to a Jewish custom Jesus would have known as a boy. He was raised in a carpenter's shop. And when the carpenter finished the project, he would lay his folded apron over the project that if a person were coming for whom the project had been completed, they would know that it was done even if they didn't see the carpenter there and they could take that project on with them. Jesus had the grave clothes folded up. And let me tell you something. On the cross, he said, it is finished. And he finished it up with a resurrection on Sunday morning. That's what your Jesus did. Hallelujah. What a Jesus we have. Some of you have been grade school teachers, and some of you went to school when you were a little kid, but many of you have gone to 
Sunday school and you've been a Sunday school teacher or maybe one of the pioneer club leaders or whatever your church, wherever you've come from, because many of us have come from many different backgrounds. And there was a little class with several students in it. They were grade schoolers. And a nine-year-old boy named Philip was in the class. Philip, Philip had some developmental issues mentally and he had some developmental issues physically. He wasn't able to get around quite like he wanted to. The teacher gave a lesson on Easter Sunday and then handed each kid a little plastic cross and said, I want you to take this cross outside. We're going to go outside. And when we go out there, I want you to look for something that will represent life to you. And then we'll come back to the class and we'll talk about it. So you put that thing in your egg. So they went outside and did their looking and hunting and they came back in. They got into the class and they started turning in their eggs one by one. One kid had a flower, said that flower represents spring and new life. Another kid had found a little butterfly and put it in. It started flitting around. And then they came to Philip's, they came to Philip's egg. And they got the egg from Philip and said, Philip, let's look at your egg. And they opened it up and it had nothing in it. And the kids laughed about it, thought that was real funny. But he said, no, no, no. He said, it's the tomb of Jesus. It's empty. He is alive. He is risen. And that's what my, my egg represents today. Something very interesting about Philip, he took very sick and later that summer passed away after that Easter. And when he died, the Sunday school teacher asked for the classmates to be able to go to the funeral to pay their respect. And she took the class up front and all of them were able to put little plastic eggs at the foot of the casket of Philip because Jesus Christ is alive and those of us who trust in him, we shall live also. Can I get a witness in this house today? I like the words of Robert Schuller whenever he says it this way. It is not a debate about the resurrection. It is a commitment, and that's what we must do. We don't have to understand it all, but we must understand that we must believe it and receive Jesus as our payment and as our way to heaven. And then they witness the resurrection of the Lord. They witness the resurrection of the Lord. They feared their dream had all ended. They feared that all of their ideas might be over. But in these moments here, they had to remember the words that Jesus had said when he resurrected Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. A great I am statement from Christ. Anyone who believes in me will live even after they have died this earthly death. Jesus has spoken out these words. How would you have responded if you had been there and seen the resurrected Lord? He's finished what he has come to do. For 40 days, he's going to be alive and be around on the earth. He has said, go tell the disciples. He has shown himself there to Mary in the garden. Thomas was doubting and said, I have to see it to believe it. And in those moments, Jesus showed his scars to him. It is a powerful moment of Jesus. Some disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, not down by the auto mile, but the other Emmaus. And they were walking on the road to Emmaus. And while they walked along the road, Jesus shows up. And he talks with them a little bit and doesn't really show them who he is. And in those moments later, they reflected and said, did not our hearts burn within us while we walked with him on the way? And then the scripture said to Pastor Red a minute ago, 
that 500 people, a crowd like this, saw him at one time. You could go out and be witnesses. You could say, today you've seen me. But if Jesus were standing here and you had seen him, you'd be able to go and talk about it. And if we gave every one of you a microphone and asked you to give a witness that you had seen Jesus, and every one of you took 15 minutes, it would take 128 hours to be able to do that. That would be several days back to back to back. And you know what that represents? That represents more than enough evidence to prove that Jesus Christ is alive. He is who he says he is, and he has risen from the dead. Can I get a witness in this house? And then I'll tell you something else it says. They witness the energized believers, and we have too. We witness the energized believers. Mary can't contain herself. She is filled with excitement. Peter can't contain himself. He has been forgiven and made new. It is absolutely powerful what's happening here. And as he has been resurrected into new life himself with that first resurrection of forgiveness, he is experiencing the transformation of Christ. And you can too. All of us can. Everyone, anyone who calls on his name, we will be saved. They had joy in their hearts. And I noticed something else. They had Hope. They were energized by hope. In this last year with all this pandemic garbage, we've all wondered about hope. Do we have any hope? Is there any hope? With all the political shenanigans that have gone on, do we have any hope? With all of the turmoil in our nation, is there any hope? And I'm here to tell you that the greatest of all hopes is real and it's still lasting. It has not been tainted. It did not get COVID. It is alive. It is well. It is Jesus Christ. He is a resurrected one. Can I get a witness somewhere in the house? I did some video recording in here last Sunday afternoon, and it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing to see the hope and to see the joy. And you'll see some of those in upcoming weeks. The beauty to be able to sit here with Joe as he told his story to me about how he was three weeks with all the instruments on him and how they did the breathing for him while he's in the hospital with COVID. He said, I can't even remember anything about it. I went in and I said to them, I will come back and see you on Monday or so. And they said, sir, if you leave the hospital, you won't be alive to come back on Monday. You're going in right now. And they put him on the ventilator and he stayed there. 44 other people in the room in the ward with him or 43, they're on the ventilator. And only he came off the ventilator. I saw a man who was glad for life. And I sat here and talked to some people who had been in a snow episode. And as they were out in the wilderness with no transmitting signal of any kind, not knowing where they were, sent up a prayer and it got more desperate each time they prayed it. And as they prayed that prayer, we got a word back here. Please look for them. They haven't reported back to camp. We're worried about them. And I know some of us were praying and begging God Almighty to do something. I did not want to have a double funeral. And there are people who sit in the congregation just like you, people right here among us. And they made a turn on that snowmobile and went a certain way. And when they got to the certain point, if they had been a few seconds before or a few seconds later, they would have missed the connecting rescue effort that was being made for them. And they were able at that point to be able to connect with them. They absolutely had life and they were excited about it. They had been given a new opportunity as they started to have a fear settle in on them a little bit. And then to sit here and to talk to somebody who is sitting in this crowd right now 
who battled the demon efforts of drugs, every form of drugs, and sent up a prayer finally after a decade of brokenness. And many of us praying, she sent up a prayer to God and said, I want you to deliver me. I cannot deliver myself. And in her jail cell with her heart lifted to God in prayer and God reached down and met her in the jail cell. And you'll see that in a couple of weeks. It's absolutely amazing what our God does as he delivered her from drugs. She's sitting right back there in her right mind. Said it's like he tore out the desire. May it ever be so. Wow. How do you and I get new life? You're sitting here today and you're wondering about new life. How do we get it? One of the best explanations I ever heard about new life was that our sin separates us from Christ. And as it says in Paul's writings, we are separated from God. We are outside Christ. That means if we die, we're not right with him. We're dying in our sin. He died for sin, but we must accept him. So we don't want to do that. We don't want to die outside sin. We want to receive him. How do we do that? We open our heart and we acknowledge, I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from you. I want to receive you so I can be, listen to this, so I can become in Christ. And if this represented being here, represents being in Christ, my sins are now forgiven. I'm still human, still possible for me to mess up, still possible to sin. But guess what? I have been forgiven. And my intent now is to live for him. And the scripture says that I was outside Christ, separated from Christ, but now I am in Christ. And then it says, one of these days, I'm an ambassador of Christ. And that means as I've grown and learned more about him, I am going to tell the good news of Jesus. I'm going to live him out in my everyday business dealings, in my everyday interactions, in my relationships in my home. I'm going to live to reflect Christ. So now I am for Christ. So I was outside Christ. Now I am in Christ, and since I'm in Christ, I'm not living for the outside Christ life. I'm living for the inside Christ life. I'm an ambassador. I live for Christ. Outside, inside, for. But there's a fourth place, and that is one day I will be with Christ. <laughs> we will be with him. It is made possible because we have come in Christ. That is invitation, and his invitation is to everyone here. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he says, and I will give you rest. We have a future that goes beyond now, and I thank God. If this is the best, when it takes them 10 years to figure out a stoplight, if this is the best, when our roads have so stinking many potholes, you have to get realignment after you take a trip. If this is the best, no, I tell you, no, it isn't. You know, having birthdays is fun when you're young, but having birthdays when you're old is a dread. You're glad you're alive, but you're sorry you have to admit you met another milestone. And you become fossilized. And we don't want to have all of that. But we have a future that is bright. Jesus says, because I live, you shall live also. And this is absolutely wonderful. You and I have the privilege one of these days of taking our last breath and the opportunity to meet him. You say privilege. Yes, I did. Because in this life, if we only have hope, we are of all people most miserable. I don't like misery. I like hope. I like life. I like future. And we have that in Jesus Christ. He has provided that for every one of us. And I think that is absolutely an amazing thing that he wants to spend eternity with us. And he wants us to come and stay with him. I get tired of company after three days. 
or 30 minutes. But he wants us to move where he is. And he says, I want you to come live in my place. But he says, guess what? I'm going to fix a place for you so you can go be in your place. I don't think he means if you get on my nerves, I don't want you here, go over there. But he says, I'm going to give you a place. In other words, there's ample room for everybody there. And we have a bright, bright future, a future in Jesus Christ. What about your future? Have you made your provision? Are you still outside Christ or have you come in Christ? Have the old left and are you new? It's up to you. It's up to you and you don't know when you'll breathe your last. Paul and his lovely wife, wonderful couple, sit along the back wall of this church, this service. And on that particular Sunday, we had finished about two to three months back now. We had finished our service and benediction was given and many of you were already leaving this service. And I saw Paul make his way with his walker up around over here. He was going pretty fast and he got over here and I thought maybe he wanted to see me or to something and up here at the altar area people like to pray sometimes and so I didn't know what he was up to I said Paul do you need anything he said I'm okay he didn't need anything he kept walking to the corner of the stage and then he sat down his wife coming just a little after I said do you all need anything she said no we're okay and his lovely wife came over and she's sitting back here today and she put her hand on his shoulder Paul put his head down in his hand I didn't bother. I didn't think it was my business to pry. Personal business going on there. And so later one of our other staff members said something to him about what was going on. Backstory is this. Paul grew up as a PK. You know what that is? A preacher's kid going to church. And Paul knew of Jesus, knew about Jesus. But Paul had strayed away from Jesus. And over the last four years, they were coming to church and sitting right back there. I look for them every week. They were sitting right back there. Paul liked coming to church. He said, I wanted to go up there just so I could make sure I was right with God. Just so I knew that everything was okay with me and God. How powerful. That's what he did right over here. It was about a month later we had the news come to us that he had passed away. The answer is in Philip's A. He is risen. And though your Bible says to be absent from the body for the believer, to be absent from the body as a believer in Christ is to be at home with the Lord. And the Bible says there is no other way to get to heaven. Not because I said it, because that's what God said. Will you receive him? You don't have to understand it all. What will you do with Jesus, sir? What will you do with Jesus, ma'am? Only you can answer that. There's nothing you and I can do about the fact that God decided to send Christ to die for us. Nothing we can do about that. Nothing we can do about the fact that he died on the cross for us. Nothing we can do about the fact that he rose from the dead. That's already been done. The only thing we can do is decide if we'll receive him or reject him. That's our decision. That's your decision right now in this service, right now in this moment. I'm going to invite you to bow your head where you are. 
I'm not going to coerce you into anything. But I am going to invite you, if you are looking to make peace with God today, you can do it right there where you're sitting. You don't have to say it out loud. No one else has to hear you as you and God. Maybe you don't even know how to pray. You could repeat after me. I'll pray a simple, simple prayer. But if you mean it sincerely, he said, he'll forgive you. He'll come into your life. And instead of being outside Christ, you can be in Christ, forgiven, and become an ambassador for him to where one day when you die, you'll be with him. Or when he raptures us, you'll get to go up to be with him. You can pray a prayer like this, quietly right there from your seat. Dear God in heaven, I recognize I am a sinner. I am outside Christ. My sin separates me from you. I don't want that any longer. I realize you died on the cross and rose from the dead and invite me to receive that. That act, trust in that to provide forgiveness and make me right for God. Right now, I turn to you. I turn to you. I invite you into my life. I want to be your ambassador. I want you in my heart, in my life. Come in. Come in now. I receive you. Thank you for coming in to me. Guide me in the way I should go. Thank you for providing forgiveness today. Thank you for this offer that I have accepted. And thank you for the promise of eternal life. If you prayed that prayer, nobody looking around, just lift up your hand as the first testimony. Say, I did, I did. I prayed that prayer this day. I see hands going up in different places throughout the auditorium. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. We make our peace with God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the peace that has come to so many today. And now, dear friend, I encourage you to tell somebody at lunch today, I made peace with God, and I tell them what you did right now in the end of this service, that you made peace with God. He loves you. He loves you. He died for you. He understands the chaos of our world and your life, but He loves you.